Man, thank you. Um, one other announcement. Uh, you know, our youth director, John, he's uh, not done yet. Um, this Wednesday, he's going off to uh, Japan for missions and uh, with the missions team. So if you're, part, if you're going, could you raise your hand real quick just so people can see you? Like a couple here, a couple here, a couple here, one in the back. Um, so our missions team is going, and they're leaving on Wednesday. So if you guys would like to send them off, if you are able, um, they're going to meet at headquarters <clears throat> this Wednesday. If you want, if you can come by 8:30, uh, they'll pray together and we'll send them off. So, yeah, keep them in your prayers, please. But uh, so for all the graduates, uh, congratulations! I'm sure at this point um, you're relieved and excited for what's in store, and. One of the things I remember about graduating is that everyone's trying to give you advice. You know, from the uh, commencement, you're graduating, and you're, everyone up there is telling you, you know, take the road less traveled, and your parents are telling you, now that you're older, don't cause any trouble, and your friends are now saying, hey, it's the summer, we graduated, let's cause some trouble, and everyone's trying to tell you, let's do something, right, and, and trying to give you some advice. But what I thought would be good for us is as we look into God's word, as we look into Proverbs, which is God's wisdom literature, you know, what kind of wisdom can we gain from him? What kind of advice can we gain from God through his wisdom literature? And what's interesting is that we're, the passage that we're looking at, it comes from Proverbs chapters two, chapter 2, but it comes from a big section of Proverbs 1 through 9, where King Solomon, you know, he was the smartest guy in the world. You know, do you remember at the time? He asked God, you know, or God asked him, hey, I can grant you anything. What do you want? And he said, I want to have all the wisdom to be able to rule and, and reign as, you know, as your king, right? As a king that leads on your behalf. And because of that, God provided him all wisdom, but also all material wealth, fame, and just all supplies. He richly blessed him. And so here's this King Solomon, and he's giving words of advice, and in chapters 1 through 9, what he's doing is he's giving advice to his son. In all the beginning of each chapter, it says, hear, O son, O son, consider my words. And he's, all the things that he's experienced and known, he's now sharing with his son, he's giving advice to his child. And he's saying, these are the things that you really need to know. And in all the different pieces of advice, the one that really stood out to me that we're going to talk about today, what I thought was really interesting, is this. Do not be lazy. Do not be slothful, but instead be diligent. Be hardworking. And it really stands out. He really mentions this over 30 times in the book of Proverbs. So he's really serious about this, right? And I wanted to share a few descriptions of what he's talking about, right? It's kind of comical, okay? The first one is Proverbs 26, 14. It says this, As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. So if you know a door, right? It has a hinge in here, and it kind of does this. It says, as a door hinges, so does a sluggard. He's in bed, and he's just like, oh. Alarm is going off. He's like, oh. People are telling him to get up. He's like, oh. And... You know, it's gone past the point of, you know, I'm tired, so I'm sleeping. It's just more, I don't want to start the day. I'm being lazy, okay? The next one is Proverbs 26, 15. The sluggard buries his hand in his dish. 
it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. So he's watching TV, reaches for the Cheetos. He's too tired to bring it back to his mouth. He's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. That's how lazy he is, right? Verse 13, the slugger says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. The sluggard is so opposed to work, he does not want to get out of bed that he's willing to make any excuse, even the most ridiculous excuse, so that he wouldn't have to go out and start the day. The last one, Proverbs 6, 9 through 10. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. You know, this is very poignant to me because I remember when I was growing up, my parents would always come into my room and say, Paul, wake up. And I would say, oh, five more minutes. Five more minutes. And they would come back, wake up. Oh, five more minutes. And now, you know, my parents aren't home or I live and I'm married and I'm responsible. But it's still the same thing, right? But it's, now it's a snooze button. The snooze button saying, nine more minutes. And I say, oh, nine more minutes. And in all these things, we talk about the slugger. These descriptions are comical. But the truth is, every single one of us, whether we're a child, an adult, teenager, whatever it might be, we all struggle with laziness, uh, being a slugger at some point in our, in our lives, right? So, for example, like if some of us, you know, we're at work and the work's starting to get a little mundane, we're starting to hate the boss, uh, you're ready to move on, and so your lack of motivation's not there, and so you start... Slacking. You don't, you don't want to get out of bed. It's like, ah, I don't care if I'm late anymore. And you're like, oh, I'm just going to take my time. And maybe some of you guys are like, no, I really love my work. I go to work on time. I go early. But maybe you're slacking in your family life. Maybe your parents or your, your children or your spouse feels that you're being lazy in your relationship with them, that you're coming home so tired from work because you've given so much that you don't give enough to your family. Or maybe you're so good with your work and you're so good with your family, but you neglect the very thing that God had initially told you to take care of, your soul, your, 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 your spiritual life. You know, the Bible is right there, but you're like the door that's hinging like, oh, I don't want to read it right now. Oh, I'll read it a little bit later. Or it's like the guy with the Cheetos. The Bible is right there or their phone's right there and you get it. You can't get it to your face because you're so lazy. Or you make whatever excuse, like the lion in the street, you make whatever excuse that you can about how busy you are or how I can't believe this happened to me. Whatever you can to justify the fact that you're not taking care of your soul, of your spiritual life. Or maybe you just say five more minutes. I just need five more minutes. I just have to finish this or I just have to finish this job. If I could just get this done, then I'll do it. And we give ourselves these excuses to not take care of the very thing that God has entrusted to us, our, our spiritual lives. And so all of us at one point or another, we've struggled with laziness. But for some reason, we don't consider it to be that bad, right? It's one of those things where, you know, when you're sharing in small groups, you don't really talk about how you, uh, you know, suffer with, you know, you struggle with uh, anger or lust, but you say, Oh, you know, but I'm being a little lazy. You know, that's one of the things that I really need to work on. That's okay to say, right? It's almost like, you know, when you have a job interview and they ask you, what's your weakness? And you kind of say, oh, I'm a perfectionist or I work too hard. And, you know, those are okay to say in those types of situations. And it's kind of the same thing. When small groups you say, 
oh, laziness, because that's okay to say, right? It's a safe answer. But in reality, the way King Solomon describes it, it's a very serious issue, right? just want to run through a few verses talking about the fact that laziness can lead to a, a lot of very terrible things from poverty and hunger and even death, right? Um, look at chapter 6, verse 10 through 11. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. 19.15, slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. 21.25, the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. This laziness will lead to these types of horrible things. And conversely, King Solomon knows that if we work diligently, if we work hard, that there are blessings to be had as well. In 10.4, it says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. 12.11, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. And 13.4, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. That last verse, I like that because it says the one who is diligent is the one whose soul is richly supplied. That their spiritual life will grow and develop and flourish when we are diligent. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, wait, but there are certain times when I've seen, you know, a, a poor person that is lazy, or a, a lazy person that's rich, right? Well, there are exceptions, okay? You know, there's a smoker that lives 100 years, and you say, oh, I'm going to smoke because, you know, he lived for 100 years even though he smoked. No, there are exceptions to every rule, right? And even in this case, you know, there's a lazy guy that finds a lottery ticket, and he's rich. It's like, see, you could be lazy and rich. These, there are exceptions to the rule, but what's going on here in the book of Proverbs is that King Solomon is looking throughout his kingdom. He's looking out through the land, observing people. And what he's sharing here in this passage is our general uh, truths that he sees in life. That the way the world flows, there are people that work diligently, and they are the people who succeed. And those who are lazy, and they are the ones who fail. Right? This is what he's sharing. And so King Solomon is telling his son and us to work hard and to be diligent. And now we come to the point where it's like, okay, well, now I understand I need to do it. How can I do it? How can I be diligent? How can I be someone who works hard? But Solomon in our passage in chapter 6 uses a very interesting example. Uh, he says, look to the ant. Look at an ant. You know, the most humble of all creatures. You know, for us, you know, we're smart, we're great, we landed someone on the moon, and we're so developed, we've built civilizations, and he says, if you want to learn about hard work, look at the ant, smallest of creatures, and yet they outnumber us a million to one, right? Look at the ant. And now there's two characteristics that I want us to see from the ant that teach us how we can be successful in our lives as we discipline ourselves like the ant, right? Verse 6 through 8, go to the ant, O sluggard, Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So two characteristics. The first characteristic is this. The ant does not procrastinate. The ant does not procrastinate. The ant does not wait to the very last day, right before winter, and say, oh, sure, I have to gather all my food. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. 
the ant prepares beforehand because the ant knows that the winter is coming. Proverbs 6, 8, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in the harvest. The procrastinator will say, why do something you can hold off until later? The ant will say, why put off something when you can do it now? That's the goal. You know, King Solomon is saying that the one who is diligent will not procrastinate. He is the one who will be successful. He is the one that looks ahead. She is the one that plans ahead, prepares, and recognizes that they need to prepare now and not later. You know, the one who is diligent, the one who is prepared is the one who, when hardships come and when the winter comes, they're not blown away. They're not shocked. They're not surprised. They're not beaten and lost during that time. You know, there are some people who, you know, when you have a deadline, you know, you have a project or a final that's due, and they say, okay, it's in two weeks. They say, okay, and they start the day before, right? I mean, guys, uh, that was pretty much my whole college career, right? Um, and, you know, you start the quarter, and you're like, okay, I have 10 whole weeks to get ready for this final, and then the last two days before, you're just like, cramming everything, right? He says the one who is diligent is the one who prepares beforehand, who prepares from week one. You know, it's one of those things where when you're prepared, you're not surprised when something comes in your, in your way and, and out, of, out of nowhere. You're not surprised and it doesn't hurt you, right? For example, you know, when I'm trying to study for that last final or you have that project that's due and you're, it's that last day, there's always something that comes up, right? There's always like a TV show that you have to watch or there's a friend that has that life, you know, emergency that they need you to talk them through or whatever it might be. Something always comes up. But the one who's prepared has prepared so well that they're not shocked by these surprises. You know, for those of you who, you know, if you drive, you know, you look at time, 11 o'clock, I have to be there by 11 a.m., and Google Maps says it's going to take me 30 minutes to get there. The person that leaves at 11, at 1030 does not account for what could happen in between, right? The one who prepares beforehand says, okay, there could be an accident, there could be something that happens, so we have to leave at 11.15, a little bit before, so that it gives us ample time to prepare ourselves because the one who's prepared beforehand is not shocked, you guys kind of get that? So the ant is prepared. He looks ahead. He sees winter. and says, I need to prepare right now. Right? So that's the first characteristic. All right? So all of you guys, you guys should all be studying for your SATs right now. All right? Now the second characteristic of the diligent ant is that the ant is self-motivated. It's self-motivated. The ant doesn't need someone overlooking them and saying, hey, ant, pick that pebble up. Hey, ant, no. Hey, that's the wrong one. Pick that one up. The ant is self-motivated. The ant moves without someone overlooking. Proverbs 6, 6, 8 again. Go to the ant, O slugger, consider her ways and be wise without having any chief officer or ruler. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Without having a chief officer or ruler overlooking them. The ant is self-motivated. It's discipline. The training wheels are off and you can leave them to trust them to do the work that you've asked them to do. You know, how many of you guys have friends 
coworkers, whoever, that the only time they are really efficient and work hard is when there's people or their boss around them or their parents around them, right? For me, I never practiced piano or read a book or studied unless my mom was right there forcing me to do it. I hated it. I was like, you know, on the computer or playing around, and then when my mom comes, oh, you know, I needed someone to oversee me because I was lazy. You know, how many of you guys have friends and coworkers that, you know, if the boss is not there, they're just twirling their thumbs on Facebook, fooling around, and then when the boss comes, it's like, like they're trying to, you know, work as hard as they can. They need to constantly be reminded to finish this or turn in this or did you, did you work on this? But the ant is self-motivated. The ant is able to work on these things. You know, for those who are graduating, uh, one of the biggest things in Austin, you might have remembered, you might have experienced this too. When I went to college, I was shocked because the professor didn't care about me. You know, they didn't care if I turned in my homework. They didn't care if I got an F on the final. They didn't send a letter to my parents saying, you know, they did bad or whatever. You are completely on your own in college to take care of. And that's a responsibility that I had to learn for myself. For you guys, as you guys are going into junior high and you guys are in high school, you guys are probably at the level now your parents don't even know the homework that you guys are doing, right? They can't do your math anymore or whatever it is. But you guys need to be self-disciplined, self-motivated to figure all this stuff out yourself. Now, motivation is very important, but where you find your motivation is even more important, right? Because there could be people that work really hard, and yet at the end of the day, it's because... They just want to be wealthy, or they want to be famous, or they want a reputation, or they could be doing it for the wrong reasons, right? And when we see here, the Apostle Paul, a thousand years after King Solomon has written this proverb, he tells us what the real reason, the motivation should be for us in our work, right? And it's this, Colossians 3, 23-24. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord, and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. He says, all of us, whether you're studying or working, whatever, you're, you're working for the Lord. It's not for your boss. It's not for your parents or your professor. It's not for any of them. You're working and you're answering to Jesus, the King. This is who we're looking to. He now through his blood and through his sacrifice, he has purchased us, right? In our sins, we were bound, ready for death, and our, our, deserving of all wrath, and yet Jesus Christ, through his blood, we were purchased. So now we are not our own, we are his, and now we are his servants, we are his slaves, we are his workers. He says, work heartily. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. Because we are not serving man, we are serving the Lord. That should cause us not just to work hard, but to be excellent in all that we do. The last thing that I want to share is in that passage also, it says, you will receive your inheritance from the Lord, right? Knowing that the, from the Lord you will receive the inheritance. I want to close with a story that I had. Uh, Pastor Steve, 
few sermons ago, he asked me, you know, what was your greatest achievement in, in your life, right? And maybe not in your life, but when you were younger. And I said, I won a White House drawing contest in fifth grade. Right? And I was so proud. And I think, oh, that's kind of sad, but okay. But I still remember in fifth grade, they had this White House drawing contest. It was not the new White House that you see now, but the one before it was burnt down. Uh, we had to draw it. And there was a contest for, you know, the, the first graders to third graders and the fourth graders to sixth graders. And so I was in fifth grade, and we had to draw this drawing, and my dad was helping me, and I was drawing, and they had a lot of bricks, so I had to draw in all the bricks. It took a lot of time. Finally finished, and I was really proud of it. I went to school to turn it in, and then I saw it. Christina Armazabal. It was her White House drawing. It was immaculate. It was so nice. She had this ruler where when you go like this, there's a rolly thing in, inside that rolls, and every line was so clean and crisp, and I was like, oh, why did I spend so much time on this? My drawing is so bad. And I went home, and my dad was like, how was the drawing? I was like, my drawing sucks. And I was so sad. And, you know, I forgot about it, but a couple months later, we, had, we were in the auditorium, and they said, oh, yeah, by the way, we have our White House drawing contest winners. And I was like, whatever, it's Christina Armazabal. She won. And they said, and the winner for our fourth or sixth grade, which is pretty much the winner of the whole, you know, elementary, because obviously the fourth and sixth grade is better than the first and third. So the whole elementary school, they said, the winner is Paul Lee, right? And I was like, what, 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 that's me, that's me. And I was so excited. I ran up there, and they got, I got this, like, gold, well, it was probably copper coin, and it said, you're a winner. And I was like, yes, I won. And they said my drawing was going to be at the White House, which I probably isn't. But, and I was so excited that I had won that award. And, you know, for all of us here, you know, at one point in our life, we've received an award, right? We've done well, or we've gotten an A on our grade, or did really well on our SATs, or we've gotten a promotion, or whatever. And then it feels so good to be rewarded for what, we've done, all the hard work and all the hours and all the stress that you've put into it, it feels great to be rewarded. Well, what we see here in this passage, it says, you will receive your inheritance from the Lord. That the giver of life, that the giver of all resources, the giver of all things, that he has all things in his hands. He says, he is the one who's going to reward you at the end with his inheritance. That is what we need to look forward to. That is Part of the motivation that we have, that we're serving Christ because he's purchased us, that we are his, and that we await an inheritance from the Lord. And so I pray that that would really be our motivating factor that will cause us to be diligent in all that we do. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your love for us, that you've sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to purchase us from death, to bring us to life, so that we might now have this new life in you, where you are our king. And Lord, I pray that you would give each and every one of us uh, that heart, that motivation, to really be excellent in all that we do, to be diligent in all that we do, because we know that we're not serving man. We're not serving the teachers or our parents. We're serving you, Lord.
want to give our utmost to you. So, Father, I pray that you would work in each and every one of us and move us. When there's times when we lack motivation, when we lack uh, the, the energy, the strength, when we feel lazy, God, remind us who we serve and remind us of the great reward that you have for us in heaven. And may that move us and drive us to be a, a group that lives to honor you, God. So thank you for this time, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray.